So hopefully you're there in Genesis 28. We've been going through the life of Jacob these past few weeks on Sunday morning together. And the last time we were together, we saw one of the most famous stories with Jacob and his brother Esau. It's this moment where Jacob, again, he's in his 70s and he still seems to be a bit of a mama's boy. And his mom says, hey, we're going to trick your dad. Your dad, that he's blind, he's old, he is afraid he's about to die any moment. Let's trick him and take the blessing from him, from your brother Esau. Now we know from the beginning that in Genesis chapter 25, verse 23, that God had spoken with Jacob's mother, Rebekah, and had told her, hey, the older is going to serve the younger. That was the promise from the beginning, right? From the jump, Isaac should have known that he had to bless his son Jacob and not Esau. But we know that Esau and Isaac, they were best buds, that there was favoritism in this family. And that caused so much destruction, so much pain and so much hurt. And you had Isaac, who his favorite son, right? He called him his own son. Rebecca would say, hey, that's your son, was Esau, the man's man, if you would, the one that would go out and hunt. We read last week how he was so hairy that they used goat's skin, and he was able to feel that and be like, yeah, I know, that's Esau for sure, right? Again, the madness of what in the world this guy looked like. And then we know that he smelled like the field. So you have this man that's so hairy, he's always smelling like fresh cut grass right he smells like he's been outside all day and that was Isaac's favorite son and Rebecca's favorite son was Jacob they spent most of their time together he would be at home with mom right baking cookies or making stew being inside the house and this was the type of man that Jacob was he's 70 years old Still hasn't been married yet. We know people live longer, but he's middle-aged, right? So think he's in his 40s and 50s. He still hasn't gotten married yet. He's still doing whatever mommy tells him to do. And this is the situation that they find themselves in. He tricks his dad. He tricks his brother. He lies to both of them over and over and over again. And now there's anger. There's resentment. Esau, the way he's comforting himself... The way he's saying, hey, it's going to be okay, I'm going to be fine, is one day I'm going to kill my brother. And that's the way that he finds comfort, is through revenge, it's through anger, it's through jealousy. So because of that, in chapter 27, if we look at verse 46, it tells us, Rebecca said to Isaac, her husband, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife of the daughters of Heth, like these, who are the daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me? We know that Esau not only married one pagan wife, but he doubled down and he married two pagan wives. So perhaps Rebecca, still having this as a pain and a burden in her heart, she decided to first and foremost warn Jacob, saying, hey, you got to get out of here. You got to flee to Laban, my brother's house, so that your brother doesn't murder you and kill you. And secondly, do not marry any woman from this pagan land. And as she tells Isaac this, we see more and more how he accepted the Lord's will and plan 
that Jacob would be the heir to the family. That Jacob would be the one with the inheritance. Jacob would be the one with the blessing. Jacob would be the one with the priestly role within the family. He'd be the next patriarch of the family, right? Throughout the Old Testament, God is known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not because any of these men were that great, not because any of these men were that awesome, but they were really flawed. They made a lot of mistakes, but yet they had trust in the Lord, they had faith in the Lord, and they followed the Lord with their lives. So verse 1, Genesis chapter 28, it says, Then Isaac called Jacob, and he blessed him, and he charged him, and said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. So again, we see Isaac, he owns up to it. And we're going to see he's going to give Jacob a greater blessing. If you would, the full blessing that God had given to Abraham and that afterwards God had given to Isaac. And now Isaac's giving that same blessing to Jacob. It's important to know that he blessed him and then he charged him. He didn't pull out his square card and say, hey, cash at me after this blessing. That's not what he did. But he encouraged him. He exhorted him. In a sense, right, you think of that movie with that corny line that kind of has weight. With great power comes great responsibility, right? And in a sense, Uncle Ben is charging his nephew. And that's what Isaac is doing to Jacob. He says, hey, you're going to have the blessing. You're going to have the blessing and the love and care from God that he's given to my dad, Abraham. And he's given to me, but you must live purely. You cannot be unequally yoked. You cannot marry an unbeliever. You cannot marry a pagan wife. And we know that the working of Isaac accepting this blessing, it took work. But now he finally owns up to it. From, from the beginning, he, want, he loved the older son more. He wanted to bless the older son more. He calls him in the secret place, right? He thinks he's on his deathbed and he calls Isaac secret place and says, hey, I want to bless you, but come make me some venison before I die. It's not a family meeting. He doesn't talk with Rebecca beforehand. But in the midst of everything that happened in Genesis 27, verse 33, if you remember, right after Jacob walks out of the tent with the blessing, after he's given him the stew, after he wore his Esau costume and everything like that, Esau walks in Esau says, hey, dad, right, I'm here. I'm here with your food. And then in verse 33, it tells us Isaac trembled exceedingly. That Isaac almost fell out of the bed, fell out of his chair when he realized what had happened with Jacob and Esau and himself. Perhaps at that moment, he realized there's no tricking God. There's no lying to God. God's will will happen. So he accepts this and now he blesses his son and he tells him again, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. It was now so important for Isaac that Jacob not go down the same path as Esau in marrying pagan women. Perhaps Isaac finally comes to his senses and remembers, my other son's not even walking with the Lord. What was I doing giving him the priestly role within the family? 
What was I doing giving him the double portion of the inheritance, giving him the blessing from the Lord when God had warned me ahead of time? And now we're going to see he's going to give his son the same blessing that he received from his father Abraham and that he's going to send his son Jacob back to the same place where his wife Rebecca was from. Verse 3 through 5, it tells us, May God bless you. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may be an assembly of peoples and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and to your descendants with you, that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. So Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padanaram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. So Jacob is promised a land. Jacob is promised a nation or peoples. And Jacob is promised a blessing. It's this same trinity, if you would, of blessing and of promises that Abraham gets as he's leaving Ur of the Chaldeans. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, God promises him a land. God promises him that he's going to be a great nation. And God promises him that he's going to be a blessing. And here, Jacob, he receives the same blessing. And this all seems amazing. This all seems incredible. But again, remember, remember the backdrop here of everything that's happened. This family of four will be, in a sense, forever shattered and broken. And yes, Jacob's leaving with the blessing. But Jacob is also leaving fearful of his life, of his own brother, of his own twin brother trying to murder him. Jacob, he's leaving that the last moments he spends with his mom and with his dad is conspiring with his mom to lie and cheat from his 137-year-old father who's blind and can barely see. There's been a great fracture in this family. So again, picture yourself as Jacob, that you're fleeing from your home, Again, Jacob, he wasn't the woodsman, he wasn't the hunter, he wasn't the outdoorsman. He was the one that would stay inside the house, right? I love my family. Some of my family, they're not that much into the outdoors. They say their version of camping is going to the Hyatt, right? I don't mind camping that much. But there's some people that just, they have to stay inside 24-7. They need the air conditioning. And now imagine if you would, if you had to flee for your life. And Jacob, he's not going to go through the normal roads on the way to this new land. He's going to cut through the woods. He's going to get as much distance as he can on his brother because he knows who Esau is and what Esau is capable of. And he knows who he is and what he's capable of. So he's fleeing for his life. He's in the woods all by himself. He's afraid, he's fearful, and this is truly how Jacob is leaving the home and the family. Yes, there's hope on the horizon. Hey, maybe I'm going to find my wife and marry her. But there, and I also have the blessing from God. I guess the plan worked, but there's so much heartbreak and pain and tension happening within this man and within this family. Again, remember, family, nothing good comes from lying and cheating and conniving. Do things right. Do things right. Be truthful. Be honest. Let that be your foundation. That people can trust you 
at your word. You don't have to say, oh, I swear to this or I swear to that or I pinky swear. You don't have to add all those things if you're a true man or woman of your word. Now we look at Esau and what was going on in his mind and his heart. And we continue to see Esau, he didn't really care that much about the Lord. Esau cared about what other people thought about him. Esau, all he was concerned with is how his parents were going to see him right now. And if you're reminded Jacob really had the same heart. That when he's about to lie, cheat, and steal with his dad and his mom's giving him the plan, his only concern was, hey, maybe dad's going to realize that I'm a cheater and a liar. I'm actually cheating and lying, but I'm just worried that dad's going to find out who I really am, right? doesn't matter if dad just buys in this fake actor that I'm putting out there. Hopefully you don't have that same concern for church and the people in church. But in verse 6 through 9, we get a little picture now at Esau and what he sees, his thought process, and what's going on in his mind. And it tells us, Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padan Aram to take himself a wife from there. And that as he blessed him, he gave him a charge saying, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Padanaram. Also Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan, they did not please his father Isaac. So Esau went to Ishmael and took Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebajoth, to be his wife in addition to the wives he had. So again, Esau, he's not trying to impress the Lord. Just the same with the blessing, same with the inheritance. He's not trying to bless the Lord. He's just trying to impress his dad and his mom. So he does a little bit of math here, right? Hey, I realize mom and dad, they're blessing my little punk brother, right? And maybe the reason they're blessing him is I did marry those two pagan women, right? And now they're telling him go and marry a woman that's not from this land. So I got it. I'm going to go out and marry a woman that's not from this land, and maybe then I will still get a blessing. Esau, he's trying to impress his dad, but there's no concern with how God sees him. Last week, if you remember, we looked at Esau, and though he was crying like crazy in anger and resentment and trying to gain his blessing back through tears, there was no forgiveness sought from Esau. There was no, Lord, would you search me? Would you find me? Lord, would you forgive me? There is no repentance. Esau didn't go out and have a sacrifice saying, Dad, I've blown it. I've messed up. Will you forgive me? And here we see this same heart. And there's many scriptures we should be reminded of. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, Paul warns Timothy that in the last days there will be a certain type of people. And one of the warnings is that they will have a form of godliness, but denying its power. And how should the believer act and react towards this type of person? From such people turn away. So again, if we have people in our lives that on the outside, they're trying to act like a Christian. They're trying to be religious, but on the inside, what goes on, what they're addicted to, what they spend the most of their time on is nothing from the Lord. We should turn away from such people. In Titus chapter 1 verse 16, now Paul warns his other son in the faith, Titus, 
And in Titus chapter 1, verse 16, he warns him, hey, they profess to know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. Again, that's Esau. Esau's trying to pretend, okay, this is what's going to bless you and mom and dad. This is what you think is holy. Okay, I won't marry a wife from Canaan. I'm going to marry my third wife now. And what's the last thing to think about? He doesn't go to marry a wife from their own family. He marries a wife from who? From Ishmael. The brother that was making fun of his dad when he was a little kid. The brother that's a type of the flesh. A brother that had caused so much friction and pain in his own dad. So perhaps he wasn't really looking for repentance. But now he's looking for revenge on his own father and mother. And family, we have to be careful with people and their hearts. When someone's trying to manipulate you to get their own will, to get their own desires, be careful. Watch what happens when you don't give them their will and desires when they try to manipulate you. They may go on and get it on their own anyways. We have to be careful with that. You want to really see if someone loves you? Just tell them no and see how they react, right? And he saw he's throwing a hissy fit. He's in anger. He's in vengeance. And now he goes to Ishmael, his dad's brother that has caused pain and turmoil and problems. Esau, he was not really seeking to be right before the Lord. Finally, in Matthew 23, here we hear from Jesus himself. Matthew 23, verse 27 through 28. And family, this should all be a warning to us. Because maybe you're here, and if you're honest with yourself, in the quietness of the day, you realize, hey, I'm just trying to put up a facade. I'm just trying to be an actor, and I'm trying to act like I'm holy. But what's really going on in my heart is just evil. It's just revenge. It's the enemy. It's not the Lord that's happening, right? How do you know if what you're doing is to bless and honor the Lord, or if what you're doing is just to bless and honor people? Right? Ask the Lord. Ask the Lord like David. Lord, search me, Lord. Search me. Search my heart. Search my mind and reveal to me if there's any wicked way. As Christians, we should be the most concerned with, Lord, am I only doing this to please men? Or, Lord, am I looking to please God? As we make decisions, yes, we should look to be at peace with all men. We should look to honor the men and women that have led us to the Lord and brought us closer to God. But if God is putting a burden in our heart and it's biblical, right, the Lord has confirmed it. Are we willing to honor him even if people won't like us? Matthew 23, verse 27 through 28, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautifully on the outward, but inside you're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, also outwardly, you appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and full of lawlessness. Right? Politically correct Jesus. Right? That's who he is. No. He warns the religious leaders of the day. Hey, on the outside you pretend you appear to be righteous. But inside you're full of hypocrisy and you're full of lawlessness. Family, we should pray. We should see God and say, Lord, am I just being a hypocrite? 
Am I pretending to be all loving, to be Christian, to be this, that, or the third? But someone asked to pray with me. Someone asked me for a roll of toilet paper. Someone asked me for some food. Someone's crying and weeping and really needs a hug. And I'm just stiff-arming them, right? I'm saying, hey, get back your six feet. Get away from me, right? How are we acting as believers? We need to be wise. We need to honor the government God has put over us. But are we honoring the Lord no matter what? Robert Jameson, speaking of Esau, he said, He only made bad worse. And though he did not marry a wife of the daughters of Canaan, he married into a family which God had rejected. It showed a partial reformation, but no true repentance. For he gave no proofs of abating his vindictive purposes against his brother, nor cherishing that devout spirit that would be gratified by his father. Again, family, he wanted to show a form of godliness, but there was no true repentance. If you're walking with Jesus, when was the last time you repented? When was the last time you said, I am sorry? When was the last time you said, I am wrong? That's something we should be doing on a daily basis. Why? Because we sin on a daily basis. And if we're really trying to put off the old man, if we're really trying to crucify our flesh, daily we need to be saying, hey, Zach, that was wrong. Hey, Zach, that was messed up. And now going to my wife, going to my kids, going to my boss and saying, hey, I was wrong. I messed up, man. I'm sorry. That was a bad example of a Christian. Would you forgive me? Would you still love me? That's how we need to be acting like believers. Again, maybe husbands and wives, maybe you're learning new noises that uh, your spouse makes, new habits you never knew, right? You're kind of bugging out or twitching, right? Are you forgiving one another? Are you saying, hey, I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? I'm, I'm sorry. I'm a sinner. That was dumb. I want to do better, right? We should be doing that on and on. Esau, no repentance, just putting on an act on top of what he had already done. The only way we can move forward with the Lord is asking God to break all the past and then allow him to build it however he asks or however he wishes to rebuild it. So now we come back to Jacob, and now in verse 10 it tells us, Now Jacob went from Beersheba, and he went towards Haran. Again, we talked about it. Imagine the loneliness that Jacob was going through. For the first time, this 70-year-old man is away from his family. He's away from his mommy, he's away from his family, he's away from his brother, from his dad, and he's going through the woods all on his own. He's not the outdoorsman, he's not the hunter, he's not the one that smelled like the outside. Hopefully you guys are kind and gracious to me. He's the bookworm, he's the one inside. I have so many different friends and family, and they have different ideal best days. I have one of my friends, and his ideal best day is going to a library and reading books all day. And I love him dearly, but that's not my heart, right? But Jacob, he would just be inside all day. He wasn't used to the outdoors. He wasn't used to killing the animals or having to go hunt. He was used to hanging out with mom all day long. So he's out in the woods. And now it's darkness is coming. Have you ever been in the woods by yourself during the day? You start hearing things, right? You start thinking, man, maybe Bigfoot is real, right? Maybe the chupacabra is really out there and he's hunting me down. He's smelling me, right? And now have you ever been out in the woods at night? He doesn't have an LED flashlight. He doesn't have a gun or a pistol or a rifle to protect himself. He's running from his brother. He's running for his life. 
He's not ready to fight. No, he's running for his life. And now he's in the woods all alone. There has to be fear. There has to be problems. There has to be concern going through his heart and mind. And this portion of scripture has blessed me so much studying it this past few days. Verse 11, it says, So he came to a certain place and he stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones, right? Talk about a my pillow. He took one of the stones of that place and he put it at his head and laid down in that place to sleep. And then he dreamed. Imagine how tired this guy is. He's able to fall asleep outside in the woods, no tent, no nothing, with a rock as his pillow. And he's dreaming. He dreamed, and behold, a ladder or a staircase, if you would, was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. What a strange dream Jacob is having. Now we know he didn't have pepperoni pizza, right? I don't think there's any pepperoni pizza in this day and age. But he's having this strange dream. And he's going to find so much comfort in this dream, right? A staircase, a stairway to heaven. And there's angels ascending and descending on it. Later on we'll see how God, he's at the top of it. Who is this ladder? What is this staircase to heaven? What is this way into heaven from earth? And let's turn to John chapter 1. And again, the best commentary on the Bible, it's the Bible. We'll turn to John chapter 1 and we'll see here Jesus and he's going to make a few comments on this portion of scripture. And in John chapter 1, we'll read verse 43 through 51. And here we meet two soon-to-be disciples, Philip and Nathaniel. And in verse 43, it says, The following day Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip, and he said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael, and he said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Right? And Philip said to him, Why don't you come and see? And Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him, and he said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you hereafter, you will see the heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon what? The Son of Man. Family, Jesus is our ladder to heaven. Jesus is our stairway to heaven. And there's no other way to heaven. There's no other way to eternal life than through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Family, that's the only way we get into heaven. I don't know if you've ever done any work on a roof, right, on a two-story building or a three-story building and someone sets up a ladder and you have to get on the roof, there's only one way to get up there. That ladder that is set before you. 
You can't say, hey, I really want an escalator. Or, hey, I want to try levitating. Can someone pick me up? I have a Superman costume. Let me go put it on and try to jump and see if I got it. I've been working on my vertical leap. Let me see if I got 10 or 20 or 30 feet in me. No, the ladder is your only option to get onto that roof. And family, Jesus, he's the only way to get to heaven. In John 14, verse 6, it says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus, he's so special to us, family. I hope that you've been drawing near to him in this season that we're in. Not only is he the ladder, not only is he the staircase to heaven, not only is he the way into heaven, but he is the absolute truth. He is the door. He is the gate. He is the shepherd that guards the gate. We need to draw closer and closer to Jesus more than ever. He's our everything, family. He's our brother, right? He's the champion of our salvation. He's the alpha and the omega. He is everything. And that's why we need to draw near to Jesus. That's why the Holy Spirit, who does he always draw us to? Not to himself. Not to ourselves, but the Holy Spirit always draws us towards Jesus. Family, we need to seek him more than ever before. He is the only way to heaven. And if you've been tired with everything that's going on in this earth, the only way you're going to get a taste of heaven is to spend time with Jesus. Remember, he is the way. He's the only way to peace is building our lives on him as our foundation. That's the only way, family. That's the only way we will have that peace that goes beyond our own understanding. But back to Jacob and this dream. Go back to Genesis 28. And in verse 13, again, remember, he's going through all these emotions, this sadness, a little bit of hope, a little bit of hope in the future, this brokenness, this fear in the middle of the woods, middle of the woods at night, no flashlight, no nothing. He sees this dream. This stairway to heaven, angels ascending and descending upon it. And then in verse 13, he says, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west, to the east, to the north and the south, and in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Again, the God of his father, the God of his grandfather, now becomes his own God. You see, family, Isaac, his father, had blessed him really begrudgingly, right? He didn't really want to do it. Then he realizes, oh, snap, right? This is the only way to do it. He has to be the one that's blessed. And he gives it to him after years of trying to give the blessing to Esau. But now God himself gives Jacob the blessing. And like we talked about it last week, the whole family is treating the blessing like some sort of magical amulet, right? That if whoever grabs this magic lamp, whoever grabs this magic blessing from dad's lips, they're the ones that are going to be blessed. But it is God who's going to be the one to give the blessing. So again, if Esau would have truly repented and sought the Lord with all his heart, all his soul, all his mind, all his will, all his strength, God would have met him. Verse 15, 
This is an amazing blessing. I promise even for us today, family, behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Family, we should take so much comfort in this. So much comfort in this. Don't let it get to your head. But in all honesty, as we search the scriptures, if we are in God's will, we're untouchable. If you are in God's will, there is that promise for us. He's not going to leave us. He's not going to forsake us. He's not going to forget about us. And until he has accomplished his will within us, then he's going to take us home. Then he's going to take us to heaven. So as long as we are in his will, we're untouchable. Again, being wise, being filled with discernment, not tempting the Lord our God. The Lord, he's with us. He's going to work in us, right? The blessing and the charge, the warning, the exhortation, the line, the level we should be living at. Those two go hand in hand. And now there's a protection from God. That if he allows you to go through cancer, it's a part of his will and plan. If he allows you to go through a difficult car accident, it's a part of his will and his plan. God knows the amount of days each and every one of us have, and it's not fluctuating, right? It's not like a stock market where all the angels are sitting there, right? Oh, wow, Zach, he just took off a bunch of years off his life. That was a bad decision. No, God knows the amount of days each and every one of us have. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, another promise for us in the New Testament. You say, oh, that's the Old Testament. That's specifically for Jacob. That's not for me. Again, pray, seek the Lord. But in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, it tells us, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Again, family, we need to be confident in the Lord. None of this has taken him by surprise. If he's begun that good work in you, family, he will complete it. We have to trust God's word. He is the truth, right? He is the life. He is the way. He is everything. He knows the days needed for each and every one of our lives. Be confident in Christ. I hate to say it. Don't be confident in the news. Don't be confident in social media. Don't be confident in the internet. Don't be confident in man, in any man. Be confident in the Lord and be confident in his word. So again, if you want peace, if you want hope, if you want a break from all the insanity going on today, we have to find it in the Lord. Now in verse 16, it tells us, Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. I absolutely love when men and women in the Bible state the obvious, especially right after it happens. But here we see something so special from our Lord as well, right? We have to be careful when we speak into the future, oh, this is definitely of God. Because what happens if it doesn't happen? Is it God's fault or is it your fault, right? And according to the Old Testament, when you would say something is God, right, when you prophesy something and it wouldn't happen, right, you'd be stoned to death. So we got to be careful saying, oh, this is from God, right? This business is from God. This girl, she's the one. God sent her from heaven himself, right? Got to be careful with those words, with those terms. Follow the example of the men and women throughout the Bible. More often than not, after it happens, they say, whoa, that was God. That was the Lord. But here we get such a blessing from the Lord. We see the type of people that more often than not, 
God reveals himself to. And I took a lot of comfort in this. Isaiah 61 verse 1. And speaking of Jesus, he says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Jesus, who has he been sent to? To heal the brokenhearted. Psalm 34 Verse 18 and 19. It says, The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart, and he saves such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of all of them. Jesus says what? Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Not that if you have a ton of faith, you're not going to have any afflictions or any sicknesses. Let us consider how many people throughout the Bible that in their toughest moments, in the moments when they're the most brokenhearted, the moments where they are grasping for straws, the moments where they think they're about to die, that's when Jesus comes and meets them. You can think of Hagar in Genesis 16 verse 7. You can just write these down. We're not going to read them. But you can think of Hagar. She's done nothing but been obedient to her master And to her master's husband, she's only been obedient to them. She's a slave in Egypt. She's a slave taken from Egypt. She's only being obedient. Then her masters throw her out. She's in the wilderness all alone, pregnant. And she has to be thinking, hey, I'm going to die at any moment here. And who's the first person we see Jesus Christ coming to meet? This slave girl, Hagar. You can think of Jacob. He's going through this rough season in his life. Right now we see him meeting with the Lord. But in chapter 32, verse 24, we will see him wrestle with a man. Or if you would wrestle with the man, Jesus, right? And Jesus meets him in his darkest moments of need. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 2, you see Moses getting to see Jesus while he's out in the wilderness as he's tending sheep for the past 40 years. Perhaps thinking, hey, My life, I started off, God had so much promise and blessing for me. What am I doing here out in the wilderness? And that's when God meets him. For Joshua, it was in one of those moments where he's absolutely freaking out. He doesn't know what's going on. And in Joshua chapter 5, verse 13 through 15, you see there the commander of the army of God comes and meets him. And gives him comfort and speaks to him. So again, family, all throughout Scripture, Christ Jesus himself, whether he's already been born or hasn't been born yet, he meets people in their darkest times. You can think of Gideon. He's freaking out, right? Maybe he's like Jacob as well. He's threshing wheat in a cave, afraid for his life. And in Genesis 6 verse 12, who appears to him? The angel of the Lord. You could think of Samson's mom. She's been broken. She can't have any kids. She's been praying. She's been weeping and nothing's happening. Judges chapter 13 verse 3. Who comes to meet her? Who comes to give her comfort? The angel of the Lord. We can be reminded of Elijah. He just had a mountaintop experience. He fried right a bunch of the enemies of God. And now he's afraid for his life. Revival hasn't exploded around the city. It seems like everybody's the same. Now you have this wicked woman that's saying she's going to kill him and fry him like he fried those false prophets. So he runs for his life. 
He knocks out under a tree. The angel feeds him and strengthens him. Says, hey, get up, man. Get up. Get on your journey. He goes into a cave to sleep there. And it's almost as if God was like sitting there waiting for him in the cave, right? 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 9. And who speaks to Elijah in the cave when he's broken, when he's weak, when he's down? It's God himself. You can think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They've been obedient to God. You have these three young men, right? They're in their teens. They're in their 20s. They've been taken from their land. They've been castrated. They've seen their family destroyed. They've seen their nation destroyed. Now they're in a pagan land. They've been obedient to God. Not once, not twice, several times. There's an idol standing there. And you could think of the hundreds of thousands of people gathered to bow down to it. And these three boys, they decide, hey, we're not going to bow down. They meet with the king. The king gets on them. The king freaks them out. You have all the mighty men within the city and they're adding fire to the furnace. They're catching on fire and dying how hot they've made the fire. And they say, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, right? Our God, he's able to save us. But even if he doesn't, we will serve the Lord. And as they're thrown into that fire, probably thinking we're done for, it's over. Who's in the fire with them? It's Jesus. You find that in Daniel chapter 3, verse 25. You even go to the New Testament. On the road to Emmaus, you have these two disciples. They're super down. They don't know where they're going, but we know they're brokenhearted. They've just seen their master, their Lord, the Messiah, right? Maybe they were like so many of the disciples that were following Jesus, thinking that he was going to overthrow Rome. And now they see their savior, they see their champion, they see their leader, their rabboni, their rabbi, their teacher brutally killed. And they're gone, they're down, they're super sad. And who comes on the road with them? Jesus. Luke chapter 4 verse 13 through 15. And finally you have this man Saul. Who his world has really been broken and shattered and changed as he has seen this busboy. This waiter, Stephen, and how he's able to break down God's scripture of who he is and of what he's done and what he wants for Saul's life. And his life had to have been broken and shattered. And he's dealing with it. He's struggling with it. He's still trying to go out in his own way. He's still trying to follow his religion like he always has done. And who meets him on that road? But Jesus. And there you look at Acts chapter 9, verse 1 through 6. So family, remember, in our moments of need, in our moments of darkness, that's where Jesus is. Or in a sense, that's where he so often will come and find us. That's where he will so often come and meet with us. Come and break bread with us. Be reminded of Matthew chapter 6, verse 7 through 8. And Jesus tells us, hey, when you're praying, Don't pray, don't use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Hey, wherever you're at right now, whatever is broken, whatever is wrong, maybe you're out of toilet paper, right? Maybe you're out of milk. God knows what you need before you ever ask Him. Get out of here with the big words, with the syllables, with going to the thesaurus to pray to God. Talk to him simply. Like we just looked at in Hebrews, right? When it says come boldly to the throne of grace, it's not that you're screaming and banging on the door of heaven. No, you're coming like a little kid to his dad saying, hey, dad, 
I could kind of use some toilet paper right now. We've been out for a while. The hose has done its job. But God, I could really use you right now, right? Whatever it may be, whatever you're freaking out about, God knows your need before you even ask him. Don't use meaningless repetition. Don't use meaningless big words. Talk to him like you would talk to your friend, like your dad, like your mom, like the person in the drive through lane, right? You don't use big words to talk, hey, number one, Coke, large fries. That's it, man. That's how we should talk to the Lord, like our dad. That's how we need to talk to him. Verse 17 through 19, and he was afraid and he said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. Then Jacob arose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put upon his head, right? That he had put at his head, sorry, not on his head. That'd be a brutal pillow. But the rock that he put at his head and he set it up as a pillar. And then he pours oil on top of it and he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of that city had been Luz previously. So again, Jacob, he finds himself. He didn't know it. The sun has set, he's in the darkness, and he finds himself in Bethel, right? In Bethel, the same place that the Lord had shown Abraham all the land that he would give to him and to his seed. And he calls him awesome. This place is awesome. We should be careful how we use that word. I think of our prayer meetings, right? We had Roberto, and he mentioned how he was being convicted, how he uses that word awesome for anything. And that word, there's certain words that should be used for God and God alone. But again, Jacob, maybe he was naive. Maybe he was just obsessed with the place. Maybe he was like, Peter, hey, let's build a tabernacle right here. One for Moses, one for Elijah, one for you, Lord. But we need to be reminded of David's word. Psalm 139, verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I go into the depths of hell, hey, you're there. If I go to the heights of heaven, hey, you are there. Family, the beautiful thing is that we don't need to travel to Bethel to be able to spend time with God. We don't need to travel to Headwaters or to the ranch or to Bonita Springs. God wants to meet with you right now, wherever you're at. We just need to cut out the distractions. Just spend time in his word. Spend time listening to worship music. Spend time reading. Spend time praying. And you can have your own memorial place, right? Or now you can get a rock and put it sideways and pour the oil upon it. He's setting up a memorial. When we go to Israel again, you'll see the graves. And there's not flowers. There's not teddy bears. They put rocks. And they try to put rocks one on, the, on another. That's what they use as a memorial. And that's what Jacob does here. Verse 20 through 22. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I'm going, and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on, so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set as a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Bible scholars, they're kind of split here whether Jacob was sticking to his wheeler and dealer status and ways or if he was truly making a vow to the Lord. The word if there, it truly can be translated to the word since. And if you use the same sentence with the word since, I believe you gather a greater understanding of where Jacob's heart is at this moment. Since or because God's going to be with me and keep me and give me bread and give me clothing. And because I'm going to come back to my father's house, yeah, he's going to be my God. 
Because he's the one that cares for me. He's the one that clothes me. He's the one that feeds my family. So he is my God and I'm going to give him a tenth of all that I have. Again, I don't think he's wheeling and dealing here. This isn't the best deal for God, right? And imagine in the days we live, hey, I want you to do all the work for me, for this business. And hey, give me 90% and whoop de doo I'm going to give you 10%, right? God's going, ooh, wow, 10%, thanks so much, Jacob. No, I don't think that's what's going on here. I think Jacob is having one of the few moments in his life where there's clarity and he's really seeing who the Lord is and he's wanting to give him an offering out of the nothing that he has right now and whatever he has in the future, saying, Lord, I'm going to give to you. Again, family, we've said a ton of times, if you're in a tough time right now financially, pray. If you can't tithe right now, you don't have any income, hey, pray about it. But also pray about taking those steps of faith and still giving the Lord that 10%. Still saying, hey, Lord, I love you and I'm going to trust in you when it makes sense and even when it doesn't. I want to see, right, like George Mueller, I want to see how you're going to provide for me and my family. I'm going to be wise with my finances. I'm going to do the best I can with this piggy bank. But, Lord, I'm still going to give you what is owed to you. That's what I believe here. Jacob, he's having one of the few moments of clarity in his life. A few verses that we should be reminded of as the Lord makes such a hefty promise to Jacob. We have these same promises for us in the New Testament and in the Old Testament. Philippians chapter 4 verse 19. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. That's Philippians 4.19. Nahum. Chapter 1, verse 7, it says, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and He knows those who trust in Him. Finally, Psalm 37, verse 25, this is one of the verses I look to throughout my life with our finances. Psalm 37, verse 25, I have been young and I am now old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken nor his descendants begging for bread. And again, family, remember what the Lord promises us. He promises us food and clothing. What are the things we mostly complain about or begin to stress out about or grow anxiety about or hyperventilate about? It's all the things after that, right? The Lord, he promises us food. He promises us clothing. In this day and age, if you had one or two sets of clothes, you had a lot of money. That's why whenever you see someone laying down their garments and giving it to someone else, it was a huge deal. How many pairs of shirts and pants and shoes and socks and underwear do each and every one of us have, right? I have this shirt. I have a long sleeve shirt. I have a work shirt. I have a chill shirt. I have a chill outside shirt. I have a workout shirt. A workout outside shirt. I have a workout inside shirt. Guys, we're so blessed remember how blessed we are remember how the majority of the rest of our world and planet really lives and finally family remember Jacob he did not deserve this blessing one bit every single person in that family of four was acting in their flesh and trying to work out their selfish motives Jacob did not deserve the blessing or the promise or the care of God or meeting with God And guess what, family? Our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He wants to bless you. He wants to provide for you. He wants to care for you. And guess what? I don't deserve it. We do not deserve it. 
Don't lie to yourself. Don't allow your flesh or pride to lie to yourself. We do not deserve the blessings of God. We do not deserve to be healthy. We don't deserve the fancy houses we have or the fancy cars that we have. This is all the grace of God. Lord, if I can't hold on to you while things are calm, while I have to just run with the men, Lord, how in the world am I going to handle it if I have to run with the horses, right? Right? 